Welcome to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm John Tanza in Washington on this live broadcast coming to you all the way from Studio 14. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan this Monday, February 6, 2023. The Bishop of Rumbek says peace building can bring peace, can, can unite communities. It is very important to bring people together. Uh, Sometimes even within the same territory, communities that don't dialogue together, they enter into conflict very easily. And the head of the United Nations mission in South Sudan welcomes the deployment of troops in Kajukeji County. The mission further welcomes the government's deployment of troops to the area to quell tensions and protect internally displaced persons. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. Pope Francis left some met with some internal displaced persons in Juba on Saturday and urged South Sudanese authorities to work for peace and restore the dignity to the internal displaced persons. The Pope also used the occasion to call on South Sudanese to respect women and aid workers. For VOA News, Manyang David Mayer reports from Juba. On Saturday, representatives of the IDPs from across South Sudan converged at Juba's Freedom Hall to meet Pope Francis, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, and the Moderator General of the Church of Scotland, Ian Greenshells. Addressing the gathering, 13-year-old Rebecca Nyakur, who lives in a Juba IDP camp, appealed to the Pope to push everyone to work for peace in the country. On behalf of the children of South Sudan, I want to thank you for your peace. We, the children of South Sudan, like dancing and singing by mic. This is how we praise God, who is always with us. Continue to teach us to be friends of Jesus and continue to speak to our people so we can all be together in peace. In the name of Jesus, I want to ask you to give a special blessing for all the children of South Sudan so we can grow together in peace and love. In speaking through a translator during the meeting, Pope Francis said the people of South Sudan have suffered for years and it is time to open a chapter of peace. And although the chapter of recent years has been one of violence, it is possible and indeed necessary to launch a new chapter starting with yourselves. A new chapter of encounter which does not forget past sufferings but radiates the joyful light of fraternity. A chapter that does not focus only on reports of tragedy but on an ardent desire for peace. May you, young people of different ethnicities, write the first pages of this new chapter. 1.3 million South Sudanese live in IDB camps in South Sudan after fighting broke out in 2013 and again in 2016, forcing hundreds of thousands to flee their homes. The country continues to struggle with deadly intercommunal violence. The Pope said IDPs should not give up on their dream of peace. He also used the occasion 
to call for an end to violence against women in South Sudan. Women are the key to transforming the country. Through their industriousness and their natural gift of protecting life, they will have the ability to change the face of South Sudan, to give it a peaceful and cohesive development. I ask you, I ask all the people of these lands to ensure that women are protected, respected, valued, and honored. The head of the Catholic Church also called for an end to attacks on humanitarian workers. I would also like to honor the humanitarian workers who have lost their lives and to plead for respect for those who offer help and for the structures that assist the population. They should not become targets of assaults and vandalism. Nine humanitarian workers were killed in South Sudan in 2022, compared to five in 2021. Since the conflict began in 2013, 141 humanitarians, predominantly South Sudanese, have lost their lives while providing humanitarian assistance to people. 31-year-old Teresa Peter Gatquoth, who lives in a Juba IDP camp, says the Pope's visit gives her hope. We hope for more blessing. We hope to come out from where we are staying because we drink bad water, the food we eat is small, and security is not good. We need peace and security to live together. Pope Francis returned to the Vatican after celebrating Mass in Juba on Sunday. It remains to be seen whether his words will change the hearts and minds of South Sudanese leaders as well as ordinary people who have suffered for years. For VOA News, I'm Anyang David Mayor in Juba. Still on Pope Francis, a number of South Sudanese walked for nine days from Rumbek to see Pope Francis in Juba last week. The Bishop of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Rumbek says, beside the desire to see the pontiff in person, the pilgrims also wanted to discover how to make peace. Sudan capital, they walked a total of 380 kilometers for nine days, crossing through several communities. 18-year-old Mary Athie Deng, who was in the group, says she wanted to see the Holy Father get his blessing and contribute towards efforts to build peace among different South Sudanese communities. I joined this work because I was interested in really wanting to see the Pope. It's something that happens historically, like maybe once in a lifetime. It's not something that we can easily see or maybe... We are able to do it like every day. So I was really happy. Mary says the journey on foot to Juba makes her believe that many of the country's problems can be solved by people from different communities getting to know each other. In the plane, we shall not have time to know each other. We shall not have time to speak about peace. Second thing is that this is a peace walk. Like we need to show the whole world that South Sudan is peaceful. We have been known like we are fighters. We always kill ourselves. All that we do is fight, fight, fight every day. And for our friend, like if you are new here, you cannot even cross your neighbor's house thinking you'll be killed. But now the distance we have walked is about 300 and something miles, which is a big distance. And you can imagine we have bushes around and we still made it safe. And we are trying to show the world that our country is not all about war. 23-year-old Paul Maker is another pilgrim from Rumbek who met the trek to Juba. Pilgrimage has been there, but I've never done that in my life. So I, I found it and I 
and I thought of it, so I got it as an opportunity to experience a pilgrimage. Christian Calazar, an Italian prelate of the Catholic Church who became bishop of the Diocese of Rumbek in South Sudan, led the pilgrimage. Bishop Calazar says people learned about peacefully coexisting along the journey. It is very important to bring people together. Uh, Sometimes even within the same territory, communities that don't dialogue together, they enter into conflict very easily. Instead, when there is this coming together, uh, we discover that the problems of one community are the same problems of the other community. And the resources that we have, they are resources that we can really share to, to create a community and bond together. Bishop Kalazar says the journey was also aimed at a forging unity among South Sudanese. Even these youth, let us say they are from Lake State, people can say, oh, Rumbek, it is Dinka place, but we have rather people from different backgrounds. We have people from Wulu, for instance, Bele. We have Bongo. We have students that came to Rumbek that are from the Nuer tribe, people from Awil, people from Wau, people from Equatoria. We have also a Nuba lady. Kalazar says that is really the vision for South Sudan. For VN News, I'm working Simon Wudu in Juba. South Sudan's ambassador to the United States said Pope Francis' visit to South Sudan renewed hope for peace and reconciliation, adding that the government needs support from the international community to complete the implementation of the 2018 peace deal. For VOA News, Nabil Biagio has more from Washington. Ambassador Philip Jadanatana spoke to South Sudan Focus during VOA's special coverage of the Pope's visit to Juba on Saturday and emphasized the importance of the papal visit. The message is really very clear even from the Pope that this is a, a pilgrimage of a reconciliation and I think the pontiff is only doing his, his work um, as uh, the, chair, the leader of the Catholic Church to go and, and, and visit and, and look at, uh, at his Christians, at, uh, look at his denomination of Christians in South Sudan and I think he's just fulfilling uh, his visit. But it comes at a time that people in South Sudan uh, are hopeful and they think that they need more prayers to have peace in South Sudan. Deputy Director of Policy at the Centre, Brian Adeba, who was also a guest on the Saturday program, agreed the Pope's visit was historic. But he said the hope for lasting peace can only be fulfilled if the leaders address a number of problems in South Sudan. The importance of this visit is encapsulated uh, in the hope um, that it will um, bring some sort of change to the uh, problems that the people of South Sudan are experiencing. We see in the Pope's speech, actually, um, uh, an allusion to these problems. He's saying that, you know, there are uh, outstanding issues on um, human rights, on corruption, on good governance that need to be uh, uh, taken care of. Adeba says the international community should pressure South Sudan's leaders to complete the implementation of the 2018 peace agreement. The international community should double down on uh, the leaders of uh, South Sudan uh, to work hard on implementing the rest of the sections of the peace agreement that are actually untouched right now. If you listen to the Pope's speech, there was one poignant piece uh, on uh, corruption. And if you look at the peace agreement right now, the chapter that is supposed to deal with rolling back the egregious corruption that is happening in the country, that chapter has not been cha- uh, has not been touched yet. And then there's the chapter on peace and reconciliation, cons- uh, transitional justice. 
The South Sudan government recently wrote a letter requesting support from the United Nations mission in South Sudan to help with holding elections at the end of the current transitional period. Ambassador Jada says that's how South Sudan's international partners can best help the young nation. We know that the United Nations and the international community have got actual experience in conducting elections. So as you know, you know, election is not an event, but it's a process that needed to be started, you know, a, a little bit earlier. So when the government of South Sudan asks for the help of the United Nations, it's not only about asking really for money, but I think there are, there are technical know-hows, uh, you know, they need support in, in, in trying to set up the proper channels on how you can conduct a credible uh, election. Jada said the Pope's message of peace and reconciliation was well received and noted by South Sudan's President Salva Kiir and his government. For VOA News, I'm Nabil Biagio in Washington. You are listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Coming up. The head of the UN mission in South Sudan welcomes the deployment of troops in Kajukeji County. Find out why after the break. What do you think? People speak out on important questions. Question today. Do you know any first aid techniques? Come to think of this question, I thought I do, but seriously, I think I may not be able to, to do too well if there is any situation present. Maybe it's something I need to go in and learn how to do. It could help somebody tomorrow. During our school days, the Red Cross Society, the clubs that we joined, they taught us a lot. When a child runs high temperature, you sponge the child with water from the leg to the head. Then you just rush the person to the hospital for best treatment. In case if you have drowned, if you have drowned maybe from water, the first aid technique that is available to be given is a kiss of life uh, to a person that has drawn into water. What do you think? A daily discussion of important questions from VOA. This is a message in the public interest from VOA Africa. Hello, I'm VOA health correspondent Linor Modul. The World Health Organization and Africa Centers for Disease Control say we all can help fight the global pandemic by frequently washing our hands or using hand sanitizers. For more information on protecting yourself and others, check with reliable sources such as the WHO and Africa CDC. And remember to listen to VOA for the latest on COVID-19. That was a message in the public interest from VOA Africa. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus. The UN mission in South Sudan has welcomed the deployment of government troops to Kajukeji County after last week's deadly intercommunal violence. The attacks claimed the lives of at least 27 people. For VOA News, Deng Gaideng reports from Juba. The UN mission in South Sudan was shocked to receive initial reports of the deadly violence in Kajokeji County in Central Equatoria State that claimed the lives of at least 27 people and left many others injured on the 2nd of February. 
that Unimis spokesperson Linda Tom is speaking in pre-recorded audio sent to South Sudan in focus. Nicholas Asom, the UN Secretary General's special representative in South Sudan and Unimis chief, called their violence unacceptable. The same day, Pope Francis wrapped up his visit to the country, which was dubbed a pilgrimage of peace. Asom urged South Sudanese authorities to heed the Pope's message, investigate the killings, and hold the perpetrators accountable. Tom says at least 2,000 people, mainly women and children, have become internally displaced, including 30 unaccompanied children following the violence. She says Unimis is gravely concerned about the resurgence of killings and violence stemming from long-standing tensions between cattle keepers and host communities in central Equatorial state and in other parts of the country. Central Equatorial State Information Minister Andruga Mabe told reporters Friday Governor Emmanuel Adilt held a State Council of Ministers meeting over the Kaujokeji attacks and dispatched security forces to the area. Tom commend the government for taking action to protect civilians in Kajokeji. The mission further welcomes the government's deployment of troops to the area to quell tensions and protect internally displaced persons. UNMIS is increasing patrols to the affected areas and engaging the authorities as well as community leaders to bring an end to these hostilities and seek peaceful solutions. Over the past two weeks, Tom says the UN has recorded at least 45 deaths among unarmed civilians in Kajukeji and Mangalapayam, along with other parts of central Ikachore state. Kajukeji Commissioner Panuel Dumo says at least 21 people were killed and two others were injured when suspected armed Dinka boar cattle keepers from Jonglei State's boar county were grazing the animals in Kajukeji, attacked a number of villages. He said the herders savagely murdered unarmed civilians after unknown assailants assaulted their camps hours earlier, killing six herders and 48 animals. Archbishop of Canterbury Justin Welbe, who accompanied the Pope to South Sudan, tweeted Thursday he was horrified by Kojokeji County attack on the heap of the religious leaders' pilgrimage to Juba. It is a story too often heard across South Sudan, Welbe added. Two weeks ago, gunmen killed more than 20 head of cattle reportedly belonging to the Boer community. Fighting between herders and residents over grazing and farming has continued for decades. President Salvakir ordered cattle herders in the Egatora region to return to their place of origin. For VOA News, I am Deng Deng in Juba. More than 20 million girls and women alive today have undergone female genital mutilation, also known as FGM. That's according to World Health Organization. The number of women subjected to the harmful practice have been declining for decades. And as the world marks the International Day of Zero Tolerance for FGM today, statistics show that girls today are less likely to undergo the harmful practice than 30 years ago. For VOA News, Morino Giambo reports. Female genital mutilation is a harmful practice that involves the alteration of the female genital organs for cultural reasons. According to the United Nations Population Fund, UNFPA, the act can cause health complications including severe infection, chronic pain, depression, infertility and death. In many traditions, it is believed that the procedure decreases a woman's sexual impulses and promotes faithfulness to her partner. Globally, FGM is today recognized as a human rights violation. 
Pascal Alote is a director at WHO's Department of Sexual and Reproductive Health. She says despite efforts to eradicate the practice, globally at least 3 million girls and women each year are estimated to be at risk of FGM. Female genital mutilation has no medical benefits and only causes harm to women and girls. It is a violation of their dignity and rights. Thankfully, this harmful practice has been declining in recent decades, although in countries where it has been practiced traditionally, one third of girls are still subject to it. The theme of this year's commemoration is partnership with men and boys to transform social and gender norms to end female genital mutilation. In Kenya, a young girl is nursing serious injuries after her brother subjected her to the harmful act. The woman whose identity has been withheld comes from Kuria community in western part of Kenya. In this community, FGM is a rite of passage for adolescent girls. The girl had ran away from home for fear of undergoing the procedure. But on her return, her brother abducted her and forced her to undergo mutilation as part of their culture. FGM activist in the area, Tobias Marwa, says the brother is now in police custody. She was examined and it was confirmed by our medical personnel that indeed she underwent an FGM, a serious one. Female genital mutilation limits opportunities for women and girls across the world for exercising their rights and realizing their potential. The WHO says one in four women and girls who have undergone FGM are subjected to the act by healthcare providers. Pascal Alotti says those who perform the procedure are violating fundamental medical ethics. The decline has been uneven in countries. WHO is supporting health workers to resist these requests and instead be advocates for change. The United Nations Population Fund says at least 2.4 billion US dollars are needed for countries affected by FGM to eradicate the practice by 2030. Reporting for viewers, I am Moreno Giambo in Sacramento, California. Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. Last November, the two sides of a violent and destructive two-year conflict, the Tigray People's Liberation Front, or TPLF, and the government of Ethiopia, signed a permanent cessation of hostilities. Since then, the two signatories have gradually implemented the terms of the accord, which called for the resumption of unimpeded humanitarian assistance and essential services to Tigray, as well as the disarmament of the TPLF and the withdrawal of all foreign and non-federal forces from Tigray. The agreement also called for an inclusive and comprehensive national transitional justice process. For the first time in more than two years, the Ethiopian government restored power and telephone service to large swaths of Tigray. Humanitarian assistance began flowing in. In mid-January, the TPLF turned over many of its heavy weapons, including tanks and rocket launchers, to the African Union. In turn, the Eritrean forces had begun withdrawing from the towns and positions that they had occupied in Tigray for many months and moving back across the border to Eritrea. The United States supports the African Union-led peace process in northern Ethiopia, said State Department spokesperson Ned Price. We do applaud the continued steady progress towards implementing the key elements of the cessation of hostilities agreement that was reached a number of months ago. 
as well as the positive role of the AU's Joint Monitoring, Verification, and Compliance team. We are aware that Eritrean forces are beginning to withdraw from Ethiopia. We reiterate the call that emanated from the talks in South Africa for the withdrawal of all foreign forces, said spokesperson Price. The departure of Eritrean and other forces is crucial to achieving a lasting peace, securing full humanitarian access, and ensuring the territorial integrity of uh, Ethiopia. The United States will continue to support the implementation of the November 2nd agreement and efforts to achieve a lasting peace. This includes access for international human rights monitors to conflict-affected areas of northern Ethiopia. Work remains, but progress is promising and gives the Ethiopian people a reason for hope. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. That's all we prepared for you this Monday. We now leave you with Mawa and the song, Yunubia.
have been listening to Mawa and the song Junubia. I'm your host, John Tanza, in Washington on this live broadcast. Thanks for taking time to be with us. Remember to join us again next week. To- Remember to join us tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. Friends, we can all listen to the sunny side of sports. Great show, bro. This is-